May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we continue our foray into the narrative lecture. Last week we read about Abraham, where God promises to bless him and make him the father of nations. This week we're going to be talking about Joseph. But this is, I want to take a little moment and pause here, because when I read this text, I thought, why is this our Joseph text? Why aren't we talking about how he was sold into slavery or some other point? And so I had a little conversation with Brandon, because I wanted to know why. Um, and the narrative lectionary is split up into four different chunks. And so instead of the three kind of the threefold cycle of the old one, where we went through uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this time we get all four Gospels and four different readings for each chunk. So we would get four different Joseph readings over the four years, if you were reading the four years. So that's why this one feels a little bit out of place because we don't have all the context. Anyways, I will give some context for what's going on here. Abraham and Sarah had a child named Isaac, who was miraculously born to them, even though they were both very, very old. Isaac then went on to marry Rebecca, he would have two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Jacob's name means essentially trickster in Hebrew. And if you read his stories, if you go through the Bible reading about Jacob and you switch out Jacob with trickster, his stories take on a new, like you'll, you'll start to see kind of why he has that name because he ends up being quite the troublemaker. Later on, he wrestles with God and has his name changed to Israel or one who struggles or strives for God. Jacob ends up with two wives, Rachel and Leah. And between the two of them, he has many children, 12 sons, whose families will go on to be the 12 tribes of Israel. So our introduction to Joseph in the biblical story comes a little bit before this story, about two chapters before. You see, Israel loves Joseph much more than his other children. He gives him this beautiful, ornate robe, which ends up turning his other children against him. Joseph, king of making, him, of making things worse for himself, then tells his family about this dream he has where all of his brothers there are bowing down to him, and he is above them all. His brothers, a bit sick of this attitude, decide that the best course of action is to sell him into slavery, blame his disappearance on a wild animal, and essentially go on with their lives as if nothing else has happened. Now, this, of course, this is exactly what everyone would do when their brother is annoying them. Unfortunately, um, my brother didn't do that to me. Um, <laughs> so, Joseph ends up being sold into slavery, which is, of course, not fun. And he ends up being sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, who is the captain of the guard in Egypt. So that brings us here, to where we are in this story. When we're reading scripture, there's all sorts of questions that are going to come to our minds, and there's all sorts of questions that we can ask of the biblical text when we're reading to help understand. Um, I'm going to be talking about two of them today. One of them we've already talked about, which is that what kind of God are we dealing with? And that one I'm going to answer right at the very end of the sermon. The second one that I wanted to bring up and talk about is, 
to include this one? Why did the writers say this one was a good story? Well, on one level, it's to talk about, it, it's to help us understand God, but it's also to help us to understand the story of our faith. For instance, why did we get the story of Noah and God placing the rainbow in the sky as a sign of his covenant? Well, on one hand, it is about the creation of the covenant with humanity, not to destroy the earth, and obviously that's a really important story that we need to have. But it also adds to the story of our faith that helps us explain the world by explaining why we have rainbows. And yes, we know that rainbows appear because of refraction of light through water droplets suspended in the atmosphere. But perhaps it's more than that. Perhaps that's God working through light and water to give us something beautiful and remind us that he will not destroy us, that he is a good God. Now, were the sermon on Noah, I would go off about how science and God are in no way conflicting and that explaining natural events with um, is only a showing of mechanics and it's only how we see that God works, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move on to the actual story. This particular story exists in the Bible for a few good reasons. First and foremost, it exists because we need to know things about Joseph. We need to know about his life, what kind of person he is. We need to know that he is a man with whom God is very close, a man who will eventually be the reason that his family will survive a famine and bring his people, the Hebrew people, to Egypt and set up the Exodus, which we'll hear about later. But it also exists to be a part of the story of our faith. What are the kinds of people that God gives favor to? What are the kinds, what are the kinds of people that are part of our faith? What we find here is a man who does what is right, regardless of circumstance. Joseph rejects the advances of Potiphar's wife over and over and over again. He could have slept with her to perhaps spite his master, perhaps he's frustrated with his position. He could have slept with her well, because he wanted to. He could have done a whole suite of things, and he probably would have even been caught, at least not right away. Indeed, Joseph could have gotten away with a whole lot of things, but doesn't do any of them. Joseph does what is right, and he's rewarded for it. God is with him, and he is prospered. But does he get rewarded by the people around him? His righteous actions land him in jail, stripped of position. Why? Should he not have received abundant blessing for his good deeds? Should not God have given him a comfortable life with a good pension and a good lawn and a nice big house? There is a problem, I think, when we equate the blessing of God with some sort of temporal, physical, good thing that happens to us. And yes, Joseph is treated well in prison, but it's still a prison. He is still shackled. It's not comfortable. And I think this helps us to understand that outward appearances and circumstances do not always reflect inward truth. That is to say, simply because someone looks good, as Joseph does, simply because somebody has all of the 
things, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a good person. A somewhat dark but excellent example, I think, is the serial killer, Ted Bundy, who was a very attractive and charming man. People liked him to the point that when he was convicted, when he was being tried, people of all sorts showed up and said, he couldn't have done it. Couldn't have been him. He's so cute. He's so handsome. Look at those eyes. He couldn't have done it. It is a psychological fact that humans trust conventionally attractive people and people that look like they have their lives are together. But this is all perception. Joseph, though handsome, was probably not particularly handsome after a few years in prison with long, greasy hair and skinny waist and probably somewhat an answer did. Did his righteousness leave him when his looks left him? When his position left him? Of course not. That is because the blessings of God are more than often inward, and further, they are often delayed. That is, the most blessed people in the kingdom of God, when it comes, will probably be people we've never even heard of. Being faithful to God throughout their whole lives in the background, not desiring claim, but following closely. Further, this means that on the reverse, when something bad happens to us, that it doesn't mean that God is punishing us. It doesn't mean that we have sinned and therefore deserve bad But the way some of us talk and think, you would think that's the way, wouldn't you? Something bad happens, and immediately what do most of us think? Oh, what did I do to deserve, to deserve this? Oh, God's punishing me. What did I say? What did I do? Something must have, I must have done something. If you believe there this lie, as I used to and still struggle with, here is your proof that it is a lie. Joseph, was the victim of an aggressive sexual assault and constant sexual advances that he did not want. This is not okay. This should not have happened to him. This isn't funny. This isn't amusing. This is terrible. Did he deserve this? Was there some sort of hidden sin that he we don't know about? No. God was with him. We learned while he was a servant, and while he was in prison. And then, God did not leave him throughout the rest of his life. Dear brothers and sisters, I must say this to you. An awful thing happening to you is not your fault. Let me be extremely clear. If you relate at all to Joseph's story of unwanted sexual advances or a miscarriage of justice, it was not your fault. God has not abandoned you, though it may have felt like it, though it may feel like it. It means we live in a broken world where terrible things happen to us. But it also means that God is with us through them. This is why this story is here, to remind us that being faithful to God will often be excruciatingly difficult, but that he will not leave us in the process. What is the kind of God we are dealing with here? One who is with us in pain and darkness, and in the loneliness of our prisons, whether literal or emotional. Indeed, our God knows.
precisely what it is to be broken and abused. He knows exactly what it is to be rejected and thrown into the darkest prison. And so when we pray, we do not pray to an unloving, unknowable, uncaring God. No. We pray to a God who has been there, and one who could not be bound by darkness and would not be bound to his prison. Brothers and sisters, our God knows pain, and he has overcome it. This is not an aloof God who stands idly by as we suffer, but one who suffers with us and stands with us in adversity, and one with whom we may weep and mourn the darkness of our May we all feel his embrace in even the darkest night, and know that the sun will one day shine again, and our pain and sorrow.